Welcome once again to another edition of the Brattlecast, stories about books old, rare, and out of print, the people who buy, sell, appraise, and collect them. I'm Jordan Rich, and I'm here with the man himself, Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop in Boston on West Street. It's an institution. You have to get there and check it out. First of all, it was nice to see you at an event last week that I was involved in, and uh, we don't usually see you outside of the studio or outside of the store. Well, it was a wonderful event, and I was so happy to be invited. And it was actually a lot more fun than I was expecting it to be. And and uh, and then we get to see you and uh, your book. I have a and little book, and, and you met another lady I paired up with. Her name is Victoria Bondock, who's written a book about her company and her mission in life. She runs a big company called Gemini Industries uh, in the defense field, and she's a remarkable lady, an immigrant uh, from the Philippines. And anyway, it was a lot of fun. And you, I called on you. I, I always like to involve the audience in this these talks, and I, I saw a familiar face. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about what you brought up. Uh, well, well, you, what you brought up, she was talking about overcoming adversity, overcoming things, which she had many to create this huge industry that she mm-hmm. runs. But You asked me, because you had known that we had had a fire at one time, how we overcame the adversity. And and, and I answered then, but I actually thought even even more about it. Uh, The business in my family goes back to 1949. We've moved many times because of urban renewal, which is a whole other Mm. type of adversity. But in 1969, we moved to West Street near the Boston Common. And we were in a five-story, 150-year-old wooden building, absolutely crammed full of books. In February of 1980, and I had been working at the store full-time for about six or seven years at that point. And my father's health was a little off, so he wasn't in it as Mm. much, although he was still very much a presence. Uh, I got a call at 4 o'clock in the morning. The building was on fire. Worst call to uh, It was – well – First of all, I got right in my car. One of my cousins was staying with us at the time, came with me, uh, and we got there, and we couldn't get within two blocks driving-wise. So we parked the car, and we couldn't walk up Washington Street because the smoke was so heavy Mm. and blowing in that direction that you couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. You literally couldn't. We had to walk out to the common and come in from the other direction. Uh, and literally just watch the store. They had most of the flames out, but it was obviously still going. Well, the and, tinder, all those books, all those pages. Right? Uh, well, one of the things is books actually don't burn all that well. Really? They, uh, if you, you can't throw them in a fireplace because they'll get smoky. They're packed together, and they get very, very smoky and uh. so on, so you don't see the flames as much. But literally, the building had collapsed in on itself. You just saw thousands of books. You see the, um, the the fire people there, the police there, and you know you sort of see everything you've been working for yeah. down. And one of the the things that you had mentioned, well, you could have taken the insurance and gone on from there. Mm. And my first response to that was, what insurance? <laughs> uh, literally. Uh, that morning, the fire captain came up to me and goes, the building's going to be torn down, the rest of it. Do you want to call your demolition company or ours? You know, I didn't have a demolition company at that point, And he said it has to be done immediately. So they called theirs. Let me just say that the demolition 
cost more than all of our insurance combined. And it wasn't that anyone's – we just had almost no insurance. Yeah. Uh, it was an area ha- – Have the rules changed since then since in terms of what you must carry? I'm just curious about that. I'm not uh, sure. No, I don't think the no. – uh, okay. it, it, it's not like car insurance where you have to right, right. carry. Right, right. So you had a certain uh, package. I, I think if you have a mortgage, obviously then the mortgage company wants the insurance on it. But beyond that, I think you're perfectly free to self-insure mm-hmm. if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right at that moment, you see everything you've built gone. Yeah, yeah. But uh, one of the things was we didn't want to give up. We wanted to continue. We, it was There was no question that we're going to stop doing this. It was how do we get going? How do we do it again? And within a month, we found a storefront a few doors up the street. Uh, we f- rented folding tables. We got it open. People either sold, gave us, donated books. Mm. And one of the things that I realized from that was, first of all, when something like that happens, the most fortunate thing in the world probably was we didn't have a lot of insurance. Because if we had had a lot of insurance, it might have taken six months or a year to settle. And what do you do? You sit there and you sit home and you worry for six months. Whereas when you don't have any and you're ha- opening almost within a month, you have absolutely no time to think about anything. <laughs> and you're so busy and working so hard, you're so tired, you fall asleep. I think it would have been devastating, looking back on it, to have had to wait. That's a very interesting take. And, and, and I remember the fire. I was living in Boston area at the time. And, and it, was, it was one of those moments covered by the news that it was a sad, sad moment for the city. Because like I say, we say it all the time, yours is an, an, an institution. It's a gathering place. It is again now. But at the time, it was a tragedy. Well, uh, another thing that uh, a person remembering that was I had a very, very good friend. His name was Barry Morris. He was president of the Boston Phoenix. I remember him. He was going to a conference in Las Vegas that morning. Now, that morning, it was a very bright, clear morning. It was cold. It was February. But he was flying out of Logan to go to Las Vegas and he said he flew up and looked down and saw all this smoke coming up from downtown Boston. And then someone next to him said, well, it's the Brattle Bookshop. Now, he used to come into the store every Saturday morning at 7 in the morning. We'd have coffee and so on. And he said he was devastated. Mm. Maybe he, <laughs> he couldn't do it. But one of the other things that I realized in all of this that – a lot of the goodwill, a lot of the friendships. In other words, it wasn't just an accident that my father had built a business that I was starting to get into that we got going. Kevin White, the mayor at the time, was a friend of his. One of the reasons Kevin White liked the store so much, first of all, he was a reader. He would eventually occasionally escape City Hall to come down and just get out of the way where nobody would see him. But for years, his mother uh, chaperoned a blind lady who was a wonderful woman, woman, and his mother was wonderful, and they would go to the bookstore. I mean, this lady was totally blind, but she liked coming in and talking about books. And for years, my father would have them in. It was very, very friendly. So one of the things that Kevin White, who was the mayor, 
loved my father because he treated his mother so well. That's very, and, and no, it, that's very Boston Irish and, and uh, Hamershire, which is a technical term. You, well, you know what I mean. I know exactly. But it isn't just that. He treated a lot of people that yeah, way. Yeah, he did. It so, was relationships that it, he had. It was relationships. So, so what happened when the store burnt down, the first thing we got a call from the mayor's office, what can we do? And one of the first things that I said, well, it was in the newspaper. It was a front-page paper, which also the reason it was on the front page of the Boston Globe with a big article is there was a writer for the Boston Globe named Marty Nolan. Know that name, of course. Marty Nolan, though, uh, came into the store when he was in high school. And my father used to give him books because he thought he was a promising young thing, young uh, student. sure. A lot of Marty Nolan told me later. A lot of people at the Globe said to me, said to him, "Why are you writing a story like this? You're ahead of the Washington bureau. It's not a Washington story." He said, "Well, I just, you know, felt so mm. bad. He was a friend, and we wanted to get that in." The other thing, the mayor, I said to the mayor, I said, "Well, one of the things that's happening is people are trying to get in touch with us." Because of the fire and trying to see what they can do. But we don't have phones. We don't have any way to connect. And this was back when AT&T was running things. And it wasn't cell phones. It wasn't you didn't carry them with you. Right. Within one day, the mayor had my store phones in Boston store phones at my father's house in Newton. Now, if we had called AT&T and asked them to have the lines put anywhere we wouldn't have gotten the mayor calls that day. They were there. The phones were hooked up. I'm so glad you told that story because it really harkens back to a time, and, and it still happens today, but a time when you did things for people because they had been nice to you, et cetera. Relationships in a business, in a family business that are so – you can't measure what value that has. That's a huge, huge deal. But also you can't plan that. No. In other words, the reason that all these people wanted to help my father and me, but it was more they knew my father, is because he had been nice to them. He had reached out to them. He over was these. George Bailey, and it's a wonderful uh, well, life and, and to, to a certain extent. To some extent. He helped people. He helped people. He liked people. He got along with people. They liked him. And that was something that I learned, too, is, you know, someday you might need help. Help people now. Mm. And then— Okay, so we got open within a month, which was continuing the store. People could call us, get in touch, call us, say, could you come out to my house? Either they wanted to give us books or they said, you know, in the next year or two, I was going to sell my library, but we know that you need stock now. They didn't want to give them away, but we got the opportunity to buy them and restock. So that was sort of the initial over the next three or four years, we were looking for a location for the store. We were renting. Uh, it was fine, but we wanted to own something. Mm. Uh, at the time, it was a rundown West Street, mm-hmm. and downtown was run down. But we wanted to secure our own fate. Well, all of the time the store burnt down, there was an empty lot. Once all the demolition was done, there was an empty lot. And the people next to us, who we knew well— um, were in in a building uh, that had first been built as a restaurant in the 20s. They were in a shoe store. And it was an interesting shoe store because they were had women's fashion shoes sizes one to four. 
Now, women who wear that size have to be tiny. And usually the only place they could get shoes was going to the children's department. His business was mostly mail order. He wanted to move to California about four, three, four years later. But all the time, our store had been next to him. We had let his car park. He said, we said, look, we have this empty lot. Park your cars there. You know, use it however you want to use it. And that was three or four years. When he decided to move, he knew we had been looking. He knew we had done him a lot of favors. He went to the broker, the real estate. He said, well, what's my building worth? They told him. He said, what's the, what are you going to take as a commission? They told him that, 6%. He came to me and said, look, if you can do this quickly, this is what Caldwell says. I'm going to subtract 6% because I'm never going to see that. You own the land next to it already. Let's make a deal. I know you need it. Mm. And uh, I, through, uh, then through friends, uh, I knew that my father at the time would never have said yes to me, no matter what I said. Didn't make any – he we, could have said, they're going to pay me to take we, this We've talked building. about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we worked that out by me going away and having someone else uh, approach my father. But we bought the building which is essentially now what secures the business. But at the time, this seemed like one of the most devastating things mm. that could have happened to you. I mean, we, we lost everything. We had a little bit of savings. That went into paying staff. Also, we opened relatively quickly and to support that a little. But the decisions to go out and look for a building, to find another building, to – to do planning and look at the business in different ways, I never, ever would have thought of. And the reality is probably the best thing that ever happened to us, looking back at it 40 years, was that building burnt down. I was forced to look into decisions that I never would have made. And now, essentially, the property and, supports the and, business. And it really brings us to the present where we've all gone through the same experience with the pandemic. And you, like any other store owner, retailer, had to had to muddle through. And you did. And you, you figured out a way to do it. And you didn't – well, you might have had a little panic. But you didn't panic because we, we were doing the show at that point. And uh, I think a lot of those experiences, those devastating experiences – can toughen you up and give you confidence to move forward. Well, I think that not only what I'm saying is it toughened us up, but it forced me to make decisions that I that if the building had still been there, that I never would have made. The building we're in now is a much better building. Matter of fact, I joke, and again, I can joke this. The building we're in now is steel and concrete. It's very strong. It oh, can yeah. hold books. It has all the alarm systems you could ever want, fire, smoke, whatever, sprinklers. And I say, you can burn a building down next to it, and it won't burn. I know. We've done it. <laughs> and, and, and one of the, the features that people absolutely love about a store is that we have an outside lot next to it with books. One of the things that I think is getting us through the pandemic are People who come into the store now are averaging 20, 30 years younger. We've been busy since April. Last year was a disaster with tourists, but they're mm. much younger. I think a lot of it is, which is unintended by us, but it's happened and partly through these decisions, is that every day people are out there taking pictures of that outside lot 
and then posting them on social media. Yeah, because the outside lot, which is artistically designed, beautifully designed, is so different and so unique to the city. There's nothing else like it. But I never would have done that. <laughs> just, I never. If, of course if, not. It's so, it's what I'm saying is that the mayor helped because we, my father, had helped his mother. The Boston Globe helped because people liked my father and was character. My father actually got in the Globe a lot. He would call the publisher, Davis Taylor, and said, "I've got a really good story." First. And, and Davis Taylor says, I'm the publisher. I don't do editorial. And my father says, yeah, but it's a really good story. <laughs> Next day, there'd be a reporter calling. Yeah. If people didn't like my father, there was no way my father could have called Davis Taylor, the publisher of The Globe, and even gotten through. Your father was a character. Everybody knew him, who knew him, loved him. And, and you realize, first of all, as a radio guy, he gave, as you do, he gave great interview stuff, and his content was amazing, and he answered questions from strangers. He was fabulous. Well, but a lot of that makes you realize that things can happen. Yeah. They can be disasters, but if you've got other people out there willing and able and wanting to help, and you've made a basis of that, and sometimes these type of disasters can make you think and look at things in a different way, and, and forcing you to do that actually can be mm. one of the best things that happens. And uh, not to mention a lesson in paying it forward, no question. Well, this is a great, great story that will probably inspire a few people to check out the store or just feel better about themselves, I think. And, and what led me to this was to go to a book signing that you had. Well, may I at least <laughs> use a moment of your time to tell everybody? Oh, absolutely. My book is called uh, On Air, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio, and I was thinking about you when I saw you in the audience and about your connection and your dad's connection to the radio station WBZ that I've been with for 27 years. And uh, it's, a, it's a deep, deep, heartfelt connection. Well, see, but that's the same. That's <laughs> same thing. in a way the same way. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Ken. Much more Brattlecast coming up. Much more to talk about. Thanks for listening.